0: We're in the book of Exodus, as most of you know, we're studying through the entire book. We find ourselves in chapter 21 and in verse 28, so open your Bible there or navigate on your device. You might want to silence your phones or your device so that I don't have to be compelled to make fun of you when it makes noise. It's the law here. Exodus 21, 28, we're going to read through to chapter 22, verse 15, and the topic God gives guidelines for his recently redeemed people to live safely together as neighbors. The title of our message, Mr. Redeemer's Neighborhood. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, this morning we've come and we're anxious to hear what you have to say in your word. And Lord, while this is super interesting and fascinating and there's many theological and practical points, Lord... We also need to hear from you personally in, in, in that place in our hearts between the soul and the spirit where only you can minister, where only your voice can be heard. Some of us are here with deep wounds this morning, Lord, some spiritual, emotional, and maybe even physical. There are people here who need healing, Lord, on all those levels as well. Some of us have fears. Others are looking for guidance. I'm sure there's some of us that are, all, all of those things apply to, and we're hoping that we would hear from you We know that uh, you've filled us with your spirit, and we know that you've promised to be among the church when we meet together in a special way, manifesting your presence. And so, Lord, we, I guess, give you permission to speak to us this morning, to resolve many issues in our lives, even if it's just to realize that your grace is sufficient for our every need. We thank you and we praise you. We do it in Jesus' name, and those who agreed said... Amen. Have you ever had a bad neighbor? He probably wasn't as bad as Florida landscaper Mitchell E. When he wasn't hired by his neighbor to mow the lawn, something in the man snapped. He decided if he couldn't mow the lawn, no one would. So he sprayed toxic chemicals on the property that caused the grass to die. That wasn't enough, though. He went on a rampage showering numerous houses with eggs, nails, and flammable liquid causing one of the boats to catch fire. Video surveillance cameras caught e. Gelco in the act and he was sentenced to 5 years probation, meaning he still lived next to you <laughs> when it was all done. You might assume that Colombian drug lord Pablo Escobar was a bad neighbor, but not for the reasons you might think. It wasn't the screaming in the middle of the night. While putting together his private zoo, Escobar imported a single male hippopotamus and three females. After his death in 93, many of his pets were shipped off to other parts of the world, but the Colombian government sort of forgot about the hippos. National Geographic counted at least 70 in 2013. Rural Colombians are dealing with the 4,000-pound ear-wiggling inbred maniacs coming up to their villages in increasing numbers, all thanks to their long-dead neighbor. Even if you're not a fan of Seinfeld, if I say, Hello, Newman. You know right away I'm referring to Jerry's despicable neighbor. TV Guide included him in their 2013 list of the 60 nastiest villains of all time. In 2016, Rolling Stone magazine ranked him number 16 in their 40 greatest TV villains of all time. Now, in the good neighbor category, we'd expect to find Mr. Rogers. After all, it was always a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Here's a bit of controversy for you to try and work through. Although we all remember Fred singing, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, if you search for it on YouTube, he sings, it's a beautiful day in this neighborhood. Weird. We're thinking about good and bad neighbors because our next verses in Exodus set forth guidelines that can make a beautiful day for neighbors. Specifically, they deal with avoiding personal injuries and with respecting personal property. I'll organize my comments around two points. Number one, you love your neighbor as yourself by keeping him safe from personal injury. And number two, you love your neighbor as yourself by keeping safe his personal property. Let's take a look at personal injury in chapter 21. Who remembers Fire Marshal Bill? (laughs) I still remember a few of his safety tips, like when he demonstrated the danger of throwing a live grenade into a fireplace during the office Christmas party. Who hasn't been tempted to do that? Or like when he demonstrated the danger of stop, drop, and roll if the floor is covered with thumbtacks. <laughs> You've got to be careful of your surface before you drop. Safety is no accident. We like to say that to each other around campus here, especially when one of the staff is not practicing safety. I'm not saying that that happens often or frequently or every day, Uh, actually, we're very safe around here, but you you know how it is. You reach when you should get down from the ladder and those kinds of things. Since the Israelites were to live in community with one another, personal injury was going to become an issue. God addresses a few cases and gives his judgment on them. And they obviously are not exhaustive. We read them as typical of many, many different situations. So beginning in verse 28. Verse 28. Chapter 21, if an ox gores a man or a woman to death, then the ox shall surely be stoned and its flesh shall not be eaten, but the owner of the ox shall be acquitted. I think you all know this by now, but I am afraid of all animals, large or small. I am afraid of my own pets because you never know when they could turn on you. The internet has only deepened and confirmed my fears as I watch over and over again that lady who gets attacked by a house cat Trying to go from her house to the uh, mailbox and back. Now, albeit she treats the cat badly, but man, that cat tears her up. She falls and it's all over. <laughs> it's terrifying. <laughs> Who knew oxen could kill? Well, they could and they did. When they did, they were put to death. The owner wasn't held accountable, but neither could he profit by selling the meat. Verse 29. But if the ox tended to thrust with its horns in times past and it has been made known to its owner and he has not kept it confined so that it has killed a man or a woman, the ox shall be stoned and its owner also shall be put to death. If the ox was a menace, a disaster waiting to happen, then it was a different story. That became negligence. It carried the death penalty for its owner. And so uh, taking care of these aggressive animals and keeping them locked up was very important. But way back when, we had Siberian Huskies. I do not recommend it. Uh, it's a great breed if you live on 50 acres of snow. <laughs> Otherwise, you have no backyard ever again. Uh, and they're, they're cute, but they're smart, and they're, uh, they'll tear up your house. Let me just put it that way. But we used to walk them every day. One thing having Siberian Huskies does is it forces you to walk every day uh, because if not, they'll tear up the inside of your house as well. And so we would walk our Huskies every night and they weren't aggressive. They're not an aggressive dog, but the Rottweilers living in one of the yards we walked by were aggressive. And one night while Pam and I were walking two of the Huskies, the rots broke through their wooden fence. I mean, they just, they just slammed that fence and came through it like it was nothing. There was only one thing that we could do. I ran off with the dogs while Pam fended off the Rottweilers. <laughs> Actually, it's true. I I knew that she would come back slightly maimed at worst, but everything actually turned out real well. She stood her ground and uh, everything was fine. That sounds funny, but only because no one was hurt. I can't tell you the amount of times that we have been attacked by other dogs when walking a dog. I carry a million volt stun gun now on my walks, it's better than the Uh, golf club that many of you carry I don't want to be seen clubbing a dog to death (laughs) I had to pull a boxer off of my little uh, Shiba Inu one night now it was her fault in one sense because she was mean to other dogs but she was on a leash and my neighbor's boxer never was and he was going to tear her up and so I had to grab him by the collar and throw him about four feet and then tell my neighbor that I was going to kill him the next time (laughs) Oh. <laughs> anyway, keep your dogs locked up. If there is imposed upon him a sum of money, then he shall pay to redeem his life whatever is imposed on him. So he's not a murderer. He hadn't trained the ox to be a killer. He wasn't involved in underground backyard ox-goring competitions. The first rule of ox clubs: you don't talk about ox club, maybe. Yeah, maybe he was, who knew? <laughs> Instead of the death penalty, his life could be ransomed. The victim's family apparently could demand a monetary settlement instead of the death penalty. And so there's some wiggle room in the law. Uh, You know, God says he should die, but if they'd rather have a cash payment, uh, that's better all the way around. Verse 31, whether it is gored a son or gored a daughter, according to this judgment, it shall be done to him. Uh, For son or daughter, we're thinking children there. And the sanctity of the precious lives of children is upheld. They were of no less value than adults. And so in this ancient culture, remember these people have been in, uh, in slavery, in real slavery in Egypt for f- over 400 years, uh, and many of those pagan cultures didn't have a high value on children. And so God says, hey, I want you to know that children are human beings made in the image of God. It's something that we might take for granted uh, needs to be spelled out. And so a very important verse Uh, in context if the ox gores a male or female servant he shall give to their master 30 shekels of silver and the ox shall be stoned well the fact that the ox was killed for goring and here the word servant is a slave is significant it tells us that the slave had the same sacred worth as a free person a slave wasn't property he or she was a person made in the image of God Uh, there are many stories in different types of slavery that are not Israeli slavery in, in the type of slavery we're normally uh, aware of, where animals are valued higher than human beings. And that's not the case if someone was, had sold themselves as a slave in Israel. Now, we commonly say that 30 shekels of silver was the price of a slave, and that's kind of true. Here's what I mean. Slaves in Israel were not bought and sold. We saw in our last study that for a variety of reasons, they put themselves into slavery But then they had to be released after a maximum of six years of serving. For example, they might owe a debt that they couldn't pay, so they would put themselves as a slave for six years, paying off their debt, working off their debt. And then at the end of those six years, we saw that they had to be given gifts of uh, money and goods to help them establish their life uh, again. And so it's a very different type of slavery. 30 shekels then wasn't the going rate for purchasing slaves. Jewish, uh, rich Jews didn't go down to the slave market and buy people for 30 shekels. The 30 shekels is compensation for the loss of the slave's labor, which might have been intended to pay off the debt that he owed. And so if the slave died in the middle of his, uh, of his uh, service the owner was out whatever money he had coming to him, and so it was remuneration for that. We also tend to think that 30 shekels wasn't very much money. Now, true, it converts to only about $60, which pretty soon will be the price of gasoline, uh, but we need to put that into perspective. For example, the prophet Jeremiah bought a field from his cousin, and the payment price was 17 shekels. Now, albeit Israel was on the decline, Babylon was coming to Uh, destroy the nation, Uh, but still, he was able to buy property for 17 shekels. In the book of Judges, a priest is hired at wages of 10 shekels per year, and so 30 shekels would have been three years' wages for that individual. So it's not a small amount of money. Of course, the most famous use of the 30 shekels in the Bible is the price Judas was paid to betray Jesus. And the point isn't that Jesus was sold for the price of a slave. The point is made in Zechariah where there is a prophecy that that is going to happen involving 30 shekels of silver. And then that 30 shekels went on. Uh, you remember Judas tried to give it back and the uh, leaders took it and they bought a field with it. And so it's not a pittance. It's, it's a decent amount of money. Uh, and, and so just correct our way of thinking about it so that we're saying things that are accurate when it comes to the 30 shekels. Now back to Exodus these were guidelines. They were helping the elders and the judges to apply God's law to every specific case. Love demands that I keep my neighbor safe. You're undoubtedly familiar with the phrase ambulance chaser. It's a lawyer who specializes in bringing cases seeking damages for personal injury. And many times they have a bad reputation for um, you know, making things, things seem worse than they really are. Lawyers, by the way, I'm sorry to say, are near the bottom of the most trusted professions. They're ahead of only business executives and lobbyists. And so um, not a very well-respected profession. And everybody likes to make fun of lawyers until you need one, and then they're kind of valuable. Pastors, they're in the middle of that list. Uh, So we're probably not doing our job as well as we could. The most trusted profession by far is Nurses, that's right. I trust anybody who takes my blood, right? (laughs) Israel had no ox chasers. When a situation arose between neighbors involving personal injury, it was resolved according to the law as summarized in the Ten Commandments, which can be further summarized by loving God with all your heart, mind, and soul and loving your neighbor as yourself. See, we're in this section. God has spoken verbally the Ten Commandments to Israel. He's going to give them later to Moses uh, on the tablets of stone. And now uh, what's happened is they summarize everything God has to say about them living together in society. And so now God is going through situations like personal property and, and personal injury and saying, here's how you would apply the Ten Commandments. Jesus was once asked, what is the greatest commandment in the law you remember he answered saying, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That is a summary of the 10 commandments. So that, that's the ultimate summary. If you wanna know how to live for God and get along with him and others, that's how you do it. So loving your neighbor as yourself is the foundation for these judgments we're reading about. If you keep loving your heart, you will strive to avoid causing personal injury to your neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself and you'll know what to do if you do cause a problem for him. Now, rather than attempt a list of ways I can love my neighbor as myself, I came across this quote that puts it into perspective rather boldly. The writer says, the commandment to love our neighbor as we love ourselves, it seems to demand that I tear the skin off my body and wrap it around the other person so that I feel that I am that other person. And all the longings that I have for my own safety and health and success and happiness, I now feel for the other person as though he were me. If this is what it means, then something unbelievably powerful and earth-shaking and reconstructing and overturning and upending will have to happen in my soul. Something supernatural, something well beyond what self-preserving, self-enhancing, self-exalting, self-esteeming, self-advancing human beings can do on their own. The something supernatural that must happen is I must get saved and then have God the Holy Spirit take up residence in me. With that indwelling, with that enabling, I can feel for the other person as though he or she were me. God's commands are always God's enabling. So when God says to love your neighbor as yourself, and we, uh, our first question is, well, how do I do that? Actually, the first thing to realize is I can do that. And knowing I can do that, I wait upon the Lord and I seek the Lord and he shows me how to do that. He produces that in me. Secondly, you love your neighbor as yourself by keeping safe his personal property. Speaking of Seinfeld, in one episode, Jerry sees his dry cleaner wearing his coat that he had left with him. Later, he spots the dry cleaner's wife wearing his mother's fur coat. I have a kind of dry cleaning story that is scary. Uh, Been going to the same dry cleaner here in town for years, love them. They lost one of my shirts. And so they said, hey, give us a couple of weeks. Usually these things come up. I described the shirt. And so I kept coming in with my other dry cleaning because I'm a loyal customer. And uh, they couldn't find my shirt, couldn't find my shirt. Finally, after about uh, six weeks... I said, hey, what do you wanna do? You're not gonna find my shirt, what, what can we do? He goes, well, what do you wanna do? And I said, well, I don't know, what do you wanna do? So I, I figured they had a program for lost shirts, you know? So, uh, so I said, well, to be honest, it's gonna be worth about 20 bucks. And uh, he said, well, we'll just give you $20 credit. And then I had an idea. I said, hey, do you have any unclaimed shirts? Because I know about once a year they put out a rack of unclaimed clothing people just forget it or they don't come back. So do you have any unclaimed shirts? And I'll see if any of there meets my fancy. And so it's, yeah, here's a rack. They had about a half a dozen shirts. And there was one, the decent looking shirt, long sleeve, um, wasn't a dress shirt, but it's a, it's a nice shirt. So I got this shirt and I took it home. Well, then I wore it to church. Uh, no, no, it's not that bad. It's not that. I wore it to church and um, everybody complimented me. They said, man, that's a really nice shirt. And I said, you know, it actually is a really nice shirt. And then one of the brothers came up and, and showed me that it had a tag that had a website. It's the only shirt I've ever had that tagged, you know, and it's, it's a Joseph Graham shirt. And uh, I went there and I found out that this shirt is a $250 shirt. <laughs> and uh, I thought, oh, man, thank you, Lord, you know. <laughs> and so now I've got this $250 shirt, but every time I wear it, Well, actually, I only wear it to church now because I'm afraid that out in the world (laughs) somebody's gonna come up to me and say, hey, buddy, that's my shirt. And I'm gonna have to say, you know what? It kinda is, but anyway. Do you ever wonder what happens to your car if you leave it for valet parking? Probably not if you drive a RAV4 like me, but if you have a Tesla, well, then you can know what happens. A Tesla keeps track of the car's energy use. One owner saw a dramatic spike on the dashboard after it was valet parked. It was all the way up to a 900 level, the owner said, I've never had a spike like that in power. For five to six miles, the car recorded that someone floored it, topping speeds of more than 90 miles an hour. It was clear that they were driving the car hard, he said, driving it like you stole it because that's what they did. So if you're gonna steal somebody's car for a few minutes as a valet, at least know what you're doing. Figure out how to reverse the... Well, I shouldn't get into that, but anyway. <laughs> None of us would do that. Not, may, I would maybe do it with the Maserati and Lamor if that ever got valet park. We could offer valet parking at the church. <laughs> if a man opens a pit, if a man digs a pit and does not cover it, an ox or a donkey falls in it, the owner of the pit shall make it good. He shall give money to the owner, but the dead animal shall be his. The pit was normally a well needed a protective wall around it so it wasn't a hazard. Uh, don't skimp on the wall. Don't leave it undone. There's too much danger. How many times have we seen a child fall down on uh, some kind of a shaft that isn't properly marked or has been forgotten, hasn't been closed up properly? It should never happen. Uh, one time is too many. Verse 35, if one man's ox hurts another so that it dies, then they shall sell the live ox and divide the money from it, and the dead ox they shall also divide. I'm not sure I get ox math, but each individual seems to end up with the equivalent of a whole ox in either meat or money. And so it it seems very fair. Verse 36, or if it was known that the ox tended to thrust in time past and its owner has not kept it confined, he shall surely pay ox for ox and the dead animal shall be his own. In case of the aggressive ox, uh, the innocent party has paid the value of his gored ox and he keeps it for its meat and its hide. If a man steals an ox or a sheep and slaughters it or sells it, he shall restore five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. Uh, this seems a pretty effective deterrent to stealing. Would you not think so? You had to restore fivefold or fourfold. And if you couldn't, you had to serve six years as a slave. Maybe they called this the four, five, six law, you know, like we have three strikes. So you have to restore fourfold, fivefold or sixfold in slavery. And so very interesting. Interesting. Very severe. Verse 2, if the thief is found breaking in, and if he is struck so that he dies, there shall be no guilt for his bloodshed. Now, before you say, all right, let's, let's see what this really means. As we're going to see in verse 3, the attempted theft in verse 2 occurs at night. The homeowner had the right to protect himself using lethal force against a nocturnal intruder. Verse 3, if the sun has risen on him, there shall be guilt for his bloodshed. If the thief broke in during the day, this was different. Guilt for the thief's bloodshed means the person being robbed was held accountable for taking the thief's life. In one case, you're sleeping, it's dark, you're startled by the intruder and don't know his intentions. Lethal force is understandable, and it's acceptable. If it's daytime and you can see you're not in any mortal danger, you can't just kill people. Plus, in the light of day, you could identify the thief leading to his capture. Law enforcement has a use of force continuum. It's a standard that provides them with guidelines as to how much force may be used against a resisting subject in a given situation. You can only use as much force as is necessary to subdue the subject. Cops can't just randomly draw their sidearm and shoot people. Sure, it makes their job a whole lot more dangerous, but they must use only as much force as is necessary in their situation. I saw a video the other day. I hope none of you posted it because I'm gonna talk about it anyway. But uh, it was an Arizona perch, uh, purse snatcher. It was a purse snatcher in Arizona. It was, the video was captured from a closed-circuit TV camera across the street. And there's no doubt that, I mean, the guy comes through and he grabs the purse. He's a dirtbag purse snatcher. Almost immediately, a lady standing by reached into her purse and started shooting at him as he was fleeing. And I thought, is this a good thing? Do we really want to murder somebody for stealing a purse? What's in that purse? Is there some, are the nuclear codes in that purse? And so that's what God is saying here, that property is not as important as persons. And so we need to be very careful about how we apply these things. My dad, my dad was a character. Why he told me this when I was a kid, I don't know, but it seemed really important. You know, it, was, it, was on, it was on the list of truly important things to know, and that was if I ever shot anybody in our yard, <laughs> I should drag him inside and, say, and break a window, and, say, and, and hopefully the forensic scientists would be imbeciles and not figure that out. And so, um, anyway... I give you these insights so you'll have sympathy for me and know (laughs) know where I'm coming from. Uh, One commentator put it like this. He said, God holds sacred even the life of the thief who is breaking into the house. If he breaks in at night and he is slain, slayer is not charged. But if his crime is in the daytime, when the owner could call for help or even recognize the intruder and accuse him later, then the slayer is guilty of homicide. Now, I'm guessing because these are guidelines that there might be circumstances under which if you had to kill the intruder, maybe if he attacked you, uh, you know, that kind of a thing. And so, again, these are guidelines for appropriating the Ten Commandments, which are a summary of love your neighbor as yourself. And so keep all that in mind. Verse 3, if the sun has risen on him, there shall be guilt for his bloodshed. He should make full restitution. If he has nothing, then he shall be sold for his theft. The he in the last half of the verse is the thief again. He must pay up or serve as a slave. And so there were big consequences for thievery. If the theft is certainly found alive in his hand, whether it is an ox or a donkey or a sheep, he shall restore double. God thought restitution was a good thing to demand. And by the way, our courts often do order restitution. It's just difficult to uh, collect sometimes. If a man causes a field or a vineyard to be grazed and lets loose his animal and it feeds on another man's field, he shall make restitution from the best of his own field and the best of his own vineyard. If fire breaks out and catches in thorns so that stacked grain, standing grain, or the field is consumed, he who kindled the fire shall surely make restitution. Your neighbor's grazing land was important for his livelihood. You must work to keep your animals off of it and to be sure you don't accidentally kindle a fire. Story out of Cincinnati. A do-it-yourself bed bug extermination gone wrong left a home in flames, displacing 10 people. Fire broke out in a multifamily home with five units. Uh, People suffered smoke inhalation and the blaze caused a quarter million dollars worth of damage. The blaze began... When a woman on the first floor tried to kill bed bugs with alcohol that ignited near an open flame, either a candle or burning incense. In cases like that, we recommend that you call Hedges Pest Control. <laughs> Leave it to the professionals. Then I got to thinking about it and I thought, do I really want to sleep on my mattress that has been cleaned with alcohol filled with bed bugs? You know, the solution to that problem is to burn the mattress outside. And get a new man. Anyway, there's a lot of, I'm sure the firefighters here could tell you a lot of crazy ways fires have gotten started. Uh, And so this law was, you know, hey, you have to respect your neighbor's property and be careful when you're doing this stuff. So, verse 7 If a man delivers to his neighbor money or articles to keep, and it is stolen out of the man's house, if the thief is found, he shall pay double. If the thief is not found, then the master of the house shall be brought to the judges to see whether he has put his hand into his neighbor's goods. There were no banks, there were no mini storage facilities. Personal property was sometimes given to a neighbor for protection. The one who received someone's valuables for safekeeping became responsible for them. If personal valuables were lost and no thief was found, the one who kept the goods had to prove before the judges that they did not steal them or he had to make restitution by paying double. I'd like to stop and make an observation too. In verse 8, many Bible versions have the word judges. It's the Hebrew word Elohim, which I've been talking about as a description of God and other beings that inhabit the supernatural realm. Some Bible versions interpret it as human judges, but that's not accurate. Uh, Elohim does not refer to human beings unless they are deceased and in the supernatural realm. One of the better recent translations of the Bible and some other translations Uh, the one I'm talking about is the ESV, they translate the word in this verse, God, and that is the correct reading of it. Moses is emphasizing that these judgments are being made before God. It's not that much different than when you go to court, sure, there's a judge there, uh, but you put your hand on the Bible and you say, so help me, God. The idea is that you are swearing before God uh, and the judge is there just to facilitate. And so that's what Moses is getting at. And besides, When Moses, at the urging of his father-in-law, Jethro, chose men to help him judge cases, he didn't call them judges. He didn't use the word Elohim. He called them elders. Uh, And so uh, in the question of Yondu to Rocket regarding something Baby Groot was saying, is this conversation important? And the answer is yes, because we want to stay consistent with the use of this word Elohim throughout the Old Testament. Otherwise, uh, you get tripped up in some uh, places where it's used. So verse 9, any kind of trespass, whether it concerns an ox, a donkey, a sheep, or clothing, or any kind of lost thing which another claims to be his, the cause of both parties shall come before the judges, before God, and whomever God condemns shall pay double to his neighbor. By the way, according to Deuteronomy 17:12, the man who acts presumptuously and will not heed this ruling, that man shall die. And so if you went before the elders and they before God made a judgment on your case, and you refused to abide by it, that took you into a death penalty situation for disrespecting their judgment. And so, uh, severe, Uh, maybe, but fair. Verse 10, if a man delivers to his neighbor a donkey, an ox, a sheep, or any animal to keep, and it dies, is hurt or driven away, no one seeing it, then an oath of the Lord shall be between them both that he has not put his hand to his neighbor's goods and the owner of it shall accept that and he shall not make it good. But if in fact it is stolen from him, he shall make restitution to the owner of it. If it is torn to pieces by a beast, then he shall bring it as evidence and he shall not make good what was torn. Taking care of someone else's animals was tricky. These verses list some of the things that might happen to them and whether the neighbor was required to make restitution or not. Verse 14, if a man borrows anything from his neighbor and it becomes injured or dies, the owner of it not being with it, he shall surely make it good. If its owner was with it, he shall not make it good. If it was hired, it came for its hire. Uh, and so this is one reason I don't like to borrow things because if I break them, I've bought them for the owner and I'm out double. Uh, so it's better, uh, and I always seem to break things, so it's better, rather than borrow your neighbor's lawnmower, just ask them to mow your lawn. No, I I don't do that. I do have my lawnmower. uh, Should be in the Smithsonian, though. I it's uh, how long? I have a 30-year-old lawnmower that I've only changed the oil on one time. It barely starts, but man, when it's going, it's it's great. So anyway, don't buy me a lawnmower. I love this thing. Uh, So that I have to say that because those things happen. Everybody, oh, Pastor Gene can't afford a lawnmower. I can't afford a lawnmower. Don't buy me a lawnmower. These are not the comprehensive property laws of Israel. They are uh, representing those laws. They're guidelines to give the Israelites understanding on how to approach property issues. And again, if you want to get along with others, you love God and you love your neighbor as yourself. That's simple till you try to do it. Then you find it is impossible. But wait, we've been told that what is impossible for man is what? Possible for God. If you are a believer, something supernatural has occurred in your life. God, the Holy Spirit, has taken residence in you. Love your neighbor as yourself has nothing to do with your natural disposition or personality. It's hard for us to get over this. We think it's it's kind of the way we feel or the way we approach things. You're not at a disadvantage to love your neighbor if you're a hermit-like curmudgeon. There are Christians like that. I don't want to be around anybody, I just, I'm all alone. Yeah, if I Here's how I love my neighbor as myself, I don't go around them and that way there's no problems. On the other hand, you're not at an advantage if you're a syrupy, sweet, glass half full kind of person. You know those people and you think, oh man, that person is so loving, maybe, maybe not because we're not talking about anything of our natural disposition, Loving your neighbor as yourself is supernatural. You have to first recognize no one can do it with any personality. But we can do it because God resides in us. It may sound like a cop-out, but rather than tell you how to love your neighbor as yourself, I'm only gonna remind you that you can. I did earlier, and I'll do it again. God's command is God's enabling. God says to love your neighbor as yourself, and that means you can do it, And that means he will show you how to do it in each particular instance. And to make a list and think of specific activities, that's putting the cart before the horse. If you list it out, then you're setting yourself up for failure. Either you're gonna fail to accomplish your list, you're gonna feel defeated and grow even less loving. People do that. Have you ever done that? Said, Lord, this is what I'm gonna do. I got five things I'm gonna do. It doesn't even get to noon before you failed and at least four of them You feel totally defeated because you're trying to do it in the power of the flesh. It's even worse if you think you've succeeded. You get to the end of the day and say, huh, all five, because now you've become a legalist and you think all you have to do is keep repeating that over and over again. And really, you're probably not getting to know the other people that you think that you're loving as yourself. And so having begun in the spirit, you can't make advances by your own effort but you can do what the Lord has called you to do. Every day is a beautiful day in the neighborhood for loving God, for loving your neighbor, and it's all in the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit who has a relationship with you through Jesus Christ and will tell you and guide you and lead you into these things. Let's pray.